So this morning I wanted to start in Luke, the 24th chapter. We're going to read Luke's account of the resurrection, and then I want to talk exclusively about the purpose of the resurrection, the reason Jesus came, and the reason the resurrection is important. Amen? Are you started? You got, got me? All right. Got to check with the DJ, man. All right, we're starting in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified. And bowed themselves to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, to be crucified and raised on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women were with, were, uh, with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the woman. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And when he had stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloth. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning as we discuss and hear the gospel being preached of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Lord, we pray that you would open the eyes and the ears in the hearts of all those who hear. Lord, and if they do not know you, Lord, we ask that you would draw them, sanctify them, redeem them, and save them for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, those who do know you, let this be a solemn reminder to them. The life that they now live is no longer their own, but they have been bought with a price. That they should have renewed faith and renewed zeal and renewed joy this morning as we talk about these things. Lord, let everyone, every man, woman, and child put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So this morning I want to give you a warning, a disclaimer, okay? I thought very hard about giving an uh, a exegetical explanation of the resurrection and all the things that happened in the resurrection, but I feel like we spend too much time some, sometimes doing that and not enough time just preaching the gospel. So this morning, we've come to celebrate the fulfillment of the greatest miracle ever performed on behalf of mankind. Indeed, the hope of every Christian 
and all who believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ. A hope that will, with everything that we talk about, I will try with everything in my being to proclaim that truth this morning. I want to say this in no uncertain terms. None of us know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know that tomorrow's promised. So I don't want to guess when it comes to your soul. And I don't want to guess when it comes to what you know about God. So this morning I'm going to preach like a dead man who doesn't know when his last hour will be. I'm going to preach like I don't know that I have tomorrow to preach this message again. And I'm going to preach like you don't have an opportunity tomorrow to hear it again. So in the words of the great Puritan writer Richard Baxter, I'm going to preach as a dying man to dying men. So that you will never be able to say, I was at that church, but they never gave me the gospel. Amen. I may never have this opportunity again. But to explain the resurrection and its importance, we must know a few things. First, who Jesus was. Why Jesus came. And what did his death accomplish. And then we can explain the great hope that we have in the resurrection because without the first part of the story, the last half of the story makes no sense. Amen? Jesus died very plainly. The Bible says that he died as a propitiation for my sin. Amen? That's the short, simple answer. And we're going to get to that. But I want to first talk about who Jesus is because there's a, uh, a, a new thought in uh, Christendom that keeps creeping up, a heresy that just won't die, that Jesus was just a man. And then there's another heresy that says, well, Jesus was just God pretending to be a man. But that's neither one of them are true. The truth is Jesus was fully God and fully man. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved except the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. But we also know that in the book of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same that was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and nothing was made without him. Amen? Who is this man? Who's this word that they're talking about? John clarifies this in the second chapter. It's Christ. It's Jesus. Amen? If you go to the book of Matthew, when the angel came to Joseph, he said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And if you want this scripture, it's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. You can go look it up on your own. 
He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the thing that has happened in her is of God. You shall have a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. And then he quotes a verse. Matthew breaks in and he says, this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. A virgin shall be with child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is God, and Jesus is man. Why did this have to happen? Number one, because God wanted to reconcile sinful man to himself. And God realized that sinful man could not do it. The Bible says that he humbled himself and took on the likeness of sinful flesh so that he could redeem sinful flesh unto himself. In other words, God once again took things into his own hand by his own sovereign will, chose to save his people. Another verse, if you want another verse for Jesus being called God. After his resurrection, he was seen many different times for 40 days. Do you realize Jesus, when he rose from the dead, didn't just go up to heaven right away. He spent 40 days visiting his disciples over and over at different times. Paul says 500 people saw him at one time. One of these occasions is recorded in Scripture where he appears unto the disciples and Thomas said, unless I touch his hand and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And all of a sudden, here's Jesus standing in front of him saying, touch my hand, Thomas. Put your hand in my side. And Thomas fell on his face and he said, my Lord and my God. So to clear up, first of all, Jesus is God in the flesh. God incarnate. That word incarnate, don't get twisted up on that word. It just means in the flesh or became flesh. Amen. Why did he come? Turn with me to Luke chapter 19, since we're very close there. I, I didn't want to make everybody do a bunch of Bible aerobics this morning, like Kyle said. But we're only going to turn to a couple places, and I'll just quote the verses, and you can go look them up later most of the time, okay? Chapter 19, I'm going to start at verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. So Jesus is God in the flesh, and God came down for one reason. To seek and to save that which is lost. Matthew one twenty one. we can go back to that. I quoted it already. He said, you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Does anybody know what the word or the name Jesus means, the name Yahshua means God is salvation. Amen? 
That's why God told Joseph, name him Jesus. Amen? His purpose was tied to his name. Peter, in the book of Acts, standing before the council of Jerusalem, said, my brothers, that this same Jesus whom you crucified is now Lord over all things. He is, there is no other name under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved. What name is that? The name of Jesus or Yahshua, which means God is salvation. And here's another verse for you. Because a lot of people act like salvation is something that I do. Salvation, the Bible says, is of the Lord. Amen. Salvation is from God. We could not save ourselves. We were dead in our trespasses and our sin. Amen. Amen. We could not save ourselves. So we see that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. This verse in Matthew says that he came to save his people from their sin. Now we're seeing a revelation at the very beginning of the New Testament. The problem is sin. You see, so many of us think that I'm just stuck in this rut and I'm stuck in this thing. And, and the Jews just thought they were stuck by Rome. Rome was over them. Rome was what was oppressing them. And they were blind to the fact that sin was oppressing them, that they were dead and apart from God, separated from God. They could not be, they could not even begin to grasp the great need that they had for a Savior. Every time Jesus talked to them about their sin, they in their pompousness would go, well, I haven't done this sin and I haven't done that sin. That's why Jesus looked at them and said, yeah, you might not have committed adultery, but any man who's lusted after a woman to have her has already committed adultery in his heart now that doesn't just apply to men okay women can do the same thing okay but the reality is as soon as you take it to that next level you may not be guilty of actually doing the act of adultery but the very moment you have ever thought about anybody else except your spouse you are an adulterer in the eyes of God And you're separated. So we see the problem. The problem is sin. But how is sin a problem? And why is sin a problem? And how deep is the sin problem? Amen? These are some of the questions that we wrestle with. Turn with me, if you have a Bible, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 4, everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, in the King James, it says this, that any sin is transgression. Now, what it says? Now, what it says, Mike? I know, I, know what, I know Mike's got a King James. I've got this memorized in about three different translations, okay? I can quote it to you from all of them sin is simply this breaking a commandment that's sin 
Breaking the moral law of God is sin. Oh, well, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, God's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. Why is, why is me transgressing his law such a problem? Well, the problem is God is also holy and just and righteous. Amen? The problem is God said, I will by no means let the guilty go free. So if God by no means lets the guilty go free, how can anyone be saved? Because you have to have someone pay the price that you cannot pay. The Ten Commandments, we could go through them. If you want to look them up on your own time, it's Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17. You can go and look it up. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. We all know those ones, but the very first commandment is the one that we break time and time and time and time again. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And you go, well, I don't worship any other gods, don't you? We're all guilty of worshiping things. We're all, with, you know, football or wrestling or, or uh, MMA or you, you want to be an MMA fighter and then you find out you're not. Amen? Some people in this room were there when I found out I wasn't. Amen? But there's all kinds of things that we idolize, that we lift up. Race cars, fast cars, slow cars, good-looking cars, right? Yeah. America has a problem idolizing our kids. We, the kid's the most important thing in the family when Christ should be the most important thing in the family. Amen? The, the uh, family time's more important than church time, or family time's more important than devotional time's. Family time is more important than Bible reading, but the problem with family time is it won't send your kids to heaven. The problem with family reunions and missing other things that are godly is that those things that you're skipping out on are the things that can help you on your journey to eternity. We must, must put God first question always comes up. Well, I'm a pretty good person, Pastor. I mean, I ain't killed nobody. Right? Don't you hear a lot, right? I ain't killed nobody. I ain't stole nothing. Really? You ain't never stole nothing? I remember a time when we, when we was teenagers, you couldn't leave your car unlocked with packs of cigarettes sitting out on the dash, could you? I got ladies in the room that can attest to that fact. Gas in the truck, gas in the tractor, your car, whatever it was, we are barring it. Barn, right? Problem is we all sin. That's the problem. Sin is so deeply rooted in humanity that when Adam fell, all of humanity fell in Adam. Every one of us are sinners. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one righteous. No, not one. No one does good. No one seeks after God. They have all become worthless. <laughs> look, look, there's one thing that you don't have to teach your kids, okay? When you get kids, and everybody in here I think has kids, okay? The problem is you have to teach them to do good. You don't have to teach them to do bad. They figure that out all on their own, don't they? Why? Because we're born in sin. The Bible says that I was born and shaped in iniquity. I was fashioned in it. Every time we give birth, I know everybody loves, they're babies and little angels. And he 
note, those are vipers in diapers. Because they're all, they're all, look, they're vipers in diapers. Because the reality is if we are all truly born in sin, we can't look at them and go, they're little angels. No, they're only that way because they can't move right now. They can't talk right now, okay? Because the minute they can move and talk, that's when you have to start going, shut up, shut up, stop that, don't do this, don't do that, don't, right? Come on, let's be real. I'm not talking to a whole bunch of people that don't know anything, right? The reality is we spend most of our children's life telling them what not to do because doing right is taught. Doing wrong does not even have to be taught. Because by nature, human beings are not good. I know there's a, there's a whole branch of Christianity that tells you, oh, you're just great. There's so much value in you. Yes, God does love you. Yes, God does value you. Or he wouldn't have sent his son to die for you. But the problem is, you think that somehow this value means that I can do what I want. But that's not what the Bible teaches. You think that this value means that there's no expectation set on me to do anything right. This isn't even taught in Scripture. Even in salvation, we are the, the, the fruit of salvation is a changed life. I'm dead to myself. I'm alive to Christ. I've been born again. The Bible says any man that be in Christ is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. So we see in Romans that all have sinned, all have fallen short, all have what? Transgressed the law, like the King James says. All have, uh, I kind of forget what this one says. Let me go back to verse 4 here. I'll tell you what. All of us practice lawlessness. Amen? All of us. The thing, we're just like Paul. The thing that I would like to do, I don't do that thing. And the thing that I'm not supposed to do, that's the thing that I do. So we see a problem in us. A problem that we cannot fix. Why is sin a problem? Habakkuk 1.13 says that God cannot even look upon sin. So the problem with sin in me is the problem that God is so holy and righteous, he has to judge sin, and he will not by any means let the guilty go unpunished. So how do I get saved then? Exodus 34 and 7 says he will not let the guilty go unpunished, if you want to know where the, that verse is. But this is why Jesus came. Jesus came, it says in Romans 5, 8, for God shows or demonstrates his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice that Christ didn't go to the cross once he, once he, he didn't just sit at the bottom of the cross, say, I'm going to sit here till y'all get right, and then I'll go up there and I'll die for you. He didn't wait for that. Why didn't he wait for that? Because God does what he wants to do, and he's in charge. You want to talk about sovereignty? He didn't wait on you because he's not, the, the whole plan is not predicated on you. The whole plan isn't laid on you doing something. The, the plan was God said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to save a people. I will forgive their sins. I will blot out their transgressions. 
If you have your Bible, we can flip over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. It says Jesus himself is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for those of the whole world. Now, I don't want to leave this right here because there's some people that make a doctrine out of this saying, well, see, the whole world's going to get saved. The problem is that's wrong. The whole world ain't going to get saved. The Bible says that there are uh, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads unto life and few there be that find it. And broad is the gate and wide is the path that leads unto destruction and many there be that find it. And we see at the end of the book of Revelation, many being thrown into the lake of fire. So we can say unequivocally, not the whole world is getting saved. So today, when you hear the gospel, today is the day of salvation. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. So that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I want you to notice this verse in Isaiah that's so often misquoted by TV evangelists who try to tell you that you're going to get your body healed. And this verse promises that your body's going to be healed. The problem with that is Isaiah 52 and 53 are talking about sin and transgression. And the healing that takes place is that you who were once an enemy of God have now been made his friend and now been made his child and have been adopted into his family and been healed from the wrath of sin. Now the problem with sin is this. Because a lot of people think that sin is somehow God has to pay the devil off to get you to heaven. The problem, the, the problem is that's not in scripture. The devil doesn't have nothing to do with you going to hell. The problem is we're sinful. And the fact that we're outside of Christ, we stand condemned. What's the condemnation? Well, what is, when, when judgment would come, we would not be facing the enemy. We would not be facing Satan. We would be facing the wrath of Almighty God for our sin. That's the truth. So God, knowing that he was going to have to pour out his, his wrath on unjust people, out of mercy and grace, Decides to save them from his wrath. This is the gospel. Why do we have? Why did he have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, there's a few reasons. The Bible says that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. This is tied to the Old Testament covenant where men had to go and slaughter goats and ox and sheep and all turtle doves and all kinds of things every year, every week, every month, every three months for sin, as sin offerings. But Hebrews tells us that Christ died as our sin offering once for all. Yeah. 
when they sing that blood, when they sing that song, his blood will never lose its power. They're talking about that. Because Jesus' blood is so righteous, so holy, it will cover a multitude of sins, the Bible says. Your sin, my sin, her sin, his sin, anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death. What does that mean, the wages? You realize when you're a servant of sin, you are gathering wages against yourself. You're going to reap a paycheck, and that paycheck is going to send you to death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He died so that you would not have to face the judgment and the wrath of Almighty God. Why the resurrection? Why is the resurrection important? I got a couple verses for you, but the main verse that I want to take you to is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to turn there so I don't butcher this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, it's worthless. Wow. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than any man. The problem is the resurrection is the seal of the covenant. Jesus had to die for our sins. Jesus had to make an atoning sacrifice for my sin. But the problem is, is that he's also God. And to be justified before Almighty God, do you understand this now? To redeem sinful man, he had to come and become a sinful man. Amen? Yet without sin, the Bible says, he became like sinful man, except he did not have sin, nor did he sin in his lifetime. Amen? He lived and kept the law perfectly, because you can't. But to justify us before God Almighty, he had to be raised from the dead. The last thing that I want you to understand is that Although Jesus said, or Peter said that God raised him from the dead, Jesus, his own words said, no man takes my life, but I lay my life down, and I have power to pick it back up again. Why? Because he was demonstrating that he was God in the flesh. John chapter 14 Verse 19, the song that we get our, our great, that great hymn, Because He Lives. I can face tomorrow because He lives. All fear is gone because I know who holds tomorrow. Amen. 
John 14, verse 19, Jesus said, Because I live, yet you shall live. 1 Peter 1 and 3, our hope and salvation rests on the very resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to go read this verse for you as I get ready to close. This is probably the shortest sermon that this church has ever heard, and they're probably saying amen. Amen. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's a lot of questions that go on about what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus dead, buried, and risen from the grave. That's the gospel. Is it 1 Corinthians 5? 15, 1 through 4, right? Yeah. Let's go read it. Let's go read it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Let's go read that. So if anybody says, hey, what is the gospel? You can give them this in a nutshell. Because Paul did it. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you receive on which you have taken your stand, that by which you are being saved if you hold to the message I have preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ dying for my sin being buried and rise from the dead on the third day. Why? At, because the scripture said he was going to. Notice that Paul does not put his emphasis on what men think, but on what the word of God said. And when he was talking about according to the scriptures, he's talking about Genesis through Malachi. Amen? So what should men do? On the day of Pentecost, Peter came out with the Holy Spirit fire, speaking in tongues, and then he preached a message. And when he got done preaching, those men said, Brothers, what must we do to be saved? And he said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. There's a lot of people put a whole lot of context to that, but it's not there on baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Only God saves you. Grace are you saved through faith. 1 John 1 and 9. Let me get back there. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now here's the point. For anybody that says that they have not sinned, I want to show you a verse. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Repentance is acknowledging sin. Repentance is acknowledging Romans chapter 3. That I am one of those who when it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it's me. 
it's me. Remember that old song, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. We always like to point out other people's sin, but when you come to Christ, it ain't pointing nobody else's sin out. It's coming to grips with the fact that you're a sinner, that you're undone, that you're lost, and the Savior came to find you. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If I believe in my heart on the Lord Jesus and I confess with my mouth, I shall be saved. Amen. Let's go read Romans chapter 10. And I want to read verse 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 if I could. We're closing very quickly. That's the second one, okay? Letting you know. Keeping you keeping you up to date here. Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead. You see that our faith in Christ is predicated not only on Jesus being Lord, but that Jesus was raised from the dead. There's two things the Bible says that if people teach these things, they are the Antichrist. Number one, those who say that Jesus did not come in the flesh are the Antichrist. And those who do not confess that Jesus is the Christ are the Antichrist. So confessing Jesus as Lord is also believing in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. Let's finish this. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, not you might, you could be, didn't. You will be saved. Now, it's a twofold process. Number one, he's my Lord. That means, what does this mean? That means I'm dying to myself. It's not no longer my will, but God's will in my life will be done. I will no longer live for Kevin. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm no longer going to be in charge. He's going to be in charge. I'm not going to take the reins. It's, it's complete. Jesus, take the wheel. And second, I must believe this in my heart. Not just a confession with my mouth, not just head knowledge, but all the way down in my being, God has had to make an eternal change in me. Because this change does not happen by my own will. This change does not happen by my own effort. The Bible says that no one can come to the Son except the Father draws them. That means God has to do a supernatural work in you for this to really be born-again experience. This is echoed again in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, by grace are you saved through faith. First, you're saved by grace. And then you put your faith in the grace. What grace? The grace of God that was poured out in Christ Jesus, whereas he would die in your place where you deserve death, where you deserve the wrath of God, where you deserve the judgment of God. God sent Christ, and he died in your place. 
And this is what you believe. And you believe that God raised him from the dead, that he might justify you before the Father in heaven. By grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself. It is, the, it is not by works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Because that's what we would do, men. If I had any part of my salvation, I would walk around going, look what I did. I chose him. I did this. I got to heaven. But I don't get to heaven by my work. I get to heaven by his work. And I only get to heaven by his work. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you hear the Father drawing this morning? The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me except the Father draws them. Firmly and adamantly believe that there are people watching on Facebook who are going to listen to this on the podcast, who may even be in this room, that hear the voice of God saying, come, be my child. We're going to close in John chapter 3, verse 16, 17, and 18. Because this is the gospel. And this is where we stand. In these chapters, in these verses, you're going to hear where you stand or where you will fall. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through himself. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. We could go on, and this is the condemnation that is coming to the world, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they, for fear of the light, and that their deeds will be exposed, they will not come to the light. But this morning, as we have read this gospel, I pray that the light of the gospel has awakened eternity in your heart. That God has done a work in you. That you would be saved. Do you believe today? Will you confess and repent today? Do you believe the gospel? Because if you have. You will be saved. I pray that you will today. Those of you who have already believed the gospel, I pray that this is an encouragement for you to share your faith, to call to your neighbors and let them know, because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And if you don't notice, the world's not getting better. Amen? World ain't getting better. People aren't getting better. It's getting worse. The depraved and lost Nature of man is being revealed again and again and again and again. And the need is there 
for people to know this Jesus whom you speak about. This risen Lord. You go to the book of Revelation. When John was on the island of Patmos, he said he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he heard a voice behind him say, I am the first and the last. I am he who was, who is, and is to come. I was dead, yet behold, I live forevermore. And because he lives, we live. That's Easter. Not family barbecues, not not even Easter egg hunts, which we're going to have. And we're going to have fellowship dinner, and, and, and that's all fine, and that's all good. But that's not Easter. Easter is Christ, and it's Him risen. We made a determination a long time ago that when we celebrate Christmas, we're going to celebrate Christ. We're, when we celebrate Good Friday, we're going to celebrate Christ. When we celebrate Easter, we're celebrating Christ. Amen? Not somebody's bratty kids. Not somebody's bratty kids. Amen. You should have seen my kids' face a few years ago when I looked at them. It was close to Christmas time, and we hadn't bought any presents yet. And I said, hey, do you get any birthday presents on my birthday? No. I said, why do you need to get presents on Jesus' birthday? Oh, that really messed them up. I got them presents, but made them think. Presents isn't Christmas. Christ is Christmas. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to pray. <clears throat> Before we get dismissed, too, we're probably somebody should go uh, get the, the children's church people because I think we're supposed to do a drawing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we, we praise you for your gospel. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. And Lord, I pray that everyone who believes in Christ in this building and watching on TV would be walking today in a renewed hope, a renewed zeal, a renewed understanding to live their life for Christ. And Lord, I pray for those that are in this room and maybe outside of this room watching on, uh, on Facebook or listen to this on the podcast, Lord, that they, if they hear this message and they have not known you, Lord, that today was their birthday in heaven that today they put their faith and trust in Christ that you have moved on their heart and in their mind God to save them redeem them elect them and call them unto salvation Lord I pray God that you would help each and every one of us to be consecrated and live our life for you and let us remember with a fervent urgency the meaning of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.